you are listening to the CFP Podcast with your hosts, Chappie, Wax, and Sully. College football knowledge dropping in three, two, one. Hey, hey, happy day, college football fans, and welcome to Championship Weekend. No, not the Natty, but we're talking conference championships, and there are a lot of games coming up this Friday and Saturday, more on Saturday, programs fighting for the right to declare themselves at least the regular season champion of their respective conference, regardless of where their ranking might lie, what their overall strength of record, what their overall body of work, what their overall power ranking may be. They get the chance to earn it and win it on the field, which is what many people think is supposed to happen. Um, And that's where we're at. So this is another episode of the CFP podcast with your co-host Chappie, joined by Mike Waxman from Columbus, Ohio. And Wax, I know you being an Ohio State guy, even though you're an unbiased Ohio State uh, supporter, you you do have that Columbus red scarlet blood coursing through your veins. I do. What was your impression of the 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 game overall from an unbiased perspective uh, in the game on Saturday? I thought Ohio State offensively early on <clears throat> played pretty well. Um, I thought as the game went on, especially after Michigan hit a couple of big plays, I think they got tight. I think especially in the second half, Ryan Day called a terrible game. He hung his team out to dry in the fourth quarter. There were two that I can remember, fourth and I think two situations, where he decided to punt rather than go for it. One was, I think, close to the 50. And it's like, you know what? Even if you don't make it, you're already down, but you're showing your players, we still got some fight left in this, and let's go and and get this done. Because the defense for for 61 plays played well, And then for six plays, didn't play well. So there's a narrative that Michigan manhandled Ohio State. No, they manhandled them last year. But even up physical, I think that the teams were very, very close. Ohio State's problem was it gave up too many big plays. It couldn't cover on the back end, which has been a problem for them all year. And then their run fits, which had been so good during the season, um, were exploited by Donovan Edwards, who had two long touchdown runs in the fourth quarter, um, which I really thought when Blake Corum, when they couldn't run early, that I thought, okay, now JJ is going to have to win the game. And even the first long pass, the guy was wide open. So more power to him, but I'm thinking that's not a tight window throw. He's not being pressed into doing anything spectacular. Let's see what happens if he gets pressured. But to his credit, he extended some plays. He used his legs to, to get some first downs. And I will applaud Jim Harbaugh, especially the play where he had uh, Kalel Munnings throw the pop pass. Yep. That was the ingenuity and the type of outside-of-the-box play calling that you need in a rivalry like this to get your team going. So, And, and, and I don't know exactly what Dallin Hayden did during the week to be relegated to two carries. I mean, Chip Trainum played pretty well, but Dallin Hayden had shown himself to be a dog in the Maryland game. And then all of a sudden he can't get more than two carries against Michigan, a North South runner, maybe the best that they had all year. So it was just an odd game, especially the second half. And 
While I don't want to say Ohio State is soft, I do think that there is maybe something to be said that if people want to question whether Ryan Day has that same Urban Meyer dog in him that he really will, it's like, you know what, let's just go get it. No, we're fine. Our passing game will work. This will work. Um, so we'll, we'll see. They may have another chance to prove themselves if some things fall properly during conference championship week. But if that doesn't happen, then they're either going to the Rose Bowl or they might go to the Orange Bowl if the Rose Bowl people don't want to put a rematch together. Yeah, I agree. A couple uh, to touch on on many of your points, you know, the the Ryan Day thing. In Ryan Day in big games, I if I'm an opposing team or an opposing fan, I feared Urban Meyer in those big games. He had that killer instinct in him was up, but certainly if he was down. Ryan Day, I agree. Um, he seems to be kind of like the the biggest dog in the yard, but when when he gets challenged by um, a a similar sized dog that's got more uh, bark to it, he seems to kind of cower a little bit. And um, you know, I I really don't fear Ryan Day in big games like he he went against Michigan on Saturday. And yeah. and and, Michigan, and I don't think I don't think you're going to see like Urban would have that inexplicable loss like the Iowa and Purdue. I don't think you're going to get that from Ryan Day. I think right. against the weaker teams, he does a much better job of focusing in and saying let's just go do what we need to do. Yeah. But you're right, against the bullies, um they've kind of Oregon bullied him, Michigan bullied him last year and Michigan, while they didn't bully them in the true sense of the word, they kind of took their dignity at home. So that's three times in the last real big games that they, I guess, kind of walked out of the yard limping when it was a dog fight against, like you said, a similar sized dog. Yeah. And I normally, you know, getting to JJ McCarthy, I normally love Joel Klatt, but I took exception to a couple things he said. He was over-glossing J.J. McCarthy and saying, you know, what a, a great passing performance he had toward the, you know, in that second quarter. And you're right. Cornelius Johnson was wide open. Um, and then the other pass he made to, to Johnson, Johnson broke a couple of tackles and took it to the house. And yeah. here's Clatt talking about, you know, making it sound like, uh, you know, McCarthy had what, 200 and some passing yards in the first half, but about 160 of that was Cornelius Johnson either being wide open because of uh, faulty coverage or missed coverage in the, in the back end for Ohio State, or he made, you know, he did the work and took it the rest of the way. So, you know, McCarthy looked better than I expected him to look. I think that he responded well, especially in the second half um, when he ran through a couple of Ohio State defenders. He didn't run them over, but instead of sliding or instead of, you know, kind of making it look like gravity took hold of him and he went down, he he lowered his shoulder and showed that he was not going to back down. So he backed up his words. But, um, you know, the other thing that Clatt talked about is he said, kudos to Jim Harbaugh, kudos to Michigan's offensive staff for having the confidence to throw the ball with J.J. McCarthy. Well, this was at the point where Michigan had, I think, like seven rushing yards through a quarter and a half. So they, re they really didn't have any other option but to throw the ball. And fortunately, it worked for them. And fortunately, Ohio State was kind of stuck in that no high safety look and putting their corners on an island, which I didn't think was a great idea because they didn't they don't necessarily have those all American corners that, you know, are just going to lock down the outside. I'm not saying they're not good, but they proved uh, multiple times that they weren't capable of going 
cover zero and manning up on the outside, they were getting beat. So I don't understand why they didn't make the adjustment, why they were um, crowding the line of scrimmage when they were holding Michigan to limited yardage on the ground. Blake Corum was out and uh, you know, it wasn't until the second half that Donovan Edwards really exploited them. So um, you know, those were two things that I took exception to, but nonetheless, Michigan, that was a convincing victory. I, I agree. Manhandled is not the right word, but I think convincing for sure. And that's score aside. If I didn't see the score, but I just watched the highlights, I would look at that and say, okay, um, Michigan was convincing, especially in that second half. Yeah, they definitely were. Now, um, you know, that kind of gets us to the next part we want to touch on. And that's the, the recent CFP rankings came out about 45 minutes ago and, you know, going from 10 to one, Washington at 10 and two, a rather, a rather quiet 10 and two. I mean, they had those back-to-back losses to UCLA and then Arizona state. And then they really, I would say dominated in almost every other game that they played. They won the apple cup. So they're at 10 Kansas state moves up from 12 to nine at nine and three, the only three loss team in the top 10 Penn state moves up from 11 to number eight at 10 and two. Their only two losses are to Michigan and Ohio state, Tennessee, with a uh, demolishing of the uh, hopeful Vanderbilt Conobadors, keeping Vandy out of a bowl. The Vols are now number seven at 10 and two. Alabama is at six. They move up one spot. They're also 10 and two. Ohio State drops from number two to number five with their loss to Michigan at home in the shoe. USC moves up to number four at 11 and one. They were previously at six. TCU moves up from four to three. Michigan from three to two and staying atop the CFP rankings going into championship weekend is the Georgia Bulldogs at 12 and 0. So any surprises there wax or anywhere in the top 25, um, meaning like a team that might be more than two spots higher or lower than you expected, or is it pretty much uh, understandable? No, it was, I mean, I, I, there were not a whole lot of um, surprises. I did not think um, really, they made it seem like there was drama between Ohio State and Alabama, but I really don't think anyone thought Alabama was going to be fifth. No. I mean, they've got two losses. This is not a classic Alabama team. Yeah, they their losses were by a total of four points to teams that are ranked, but they also had a one-point win against Texas. They had, what, a seven-point win against Ole Miss that's not ranked anymore. Um, so – this is not a classic Alabama team. So what this tells me is that if, if USC loses being at four, the only team that has a chance to get in would be Ohio state because there's nothing Alabama can do sitting idle. that can make them pass Ohio state. So um, for all intents and purposes, it's five teams vying for four spots. And really we might know by the end of like early morning on Saturday morning after the Pac-12 championship game is finished, whether there is some drama or whether it's going to be Georgia, Michigan, TCU, USC. Maybe if TCU loses in big time fashion to Kansas State, they flip USC and TCU. But I can't see any way that the top three are out regardless of what happens. Um, So really it comes down to Friday night Ohio State fans need to root for the Utes, who they beat in the Rose Bowl last season, to kind of upset the apple cart and beat USC for the second time this year. Yeah, I agree. I think I think the only team that might be 
worried would be TCU. And that's just because of, I think the perception of the big 12 is still that it is barely above a power five conference. And I'm not saying that it is, but uh, you know, even though TCU is playing number nine, Kansas state, uh, if, if they lose by less than two scores, I think that they're going to be okay. If they let things get out of hand and somehow Kansas state pulls a, an Oklahoma state game on them and you know, they're up 35, nothing at halftime or 35, three, then the, the horn frogs might have something to worry about there. Uh, but then again, uh, if, if, if USC loses, then I think that all is well. So, you know, TCU, you can bet that they're going to do everything that they can to win this because they, they don't want to back into this spot. And obviously everybody wants to say, we went through our regular season and our conference championship undefeated. So regardless of what happens beyond that, we did everything we were supposed to in front of us. We even played the, the best of the best within our own conference. And so um, I think that there's a really good chance that TCU, Michigan, and Georgia all stay in the in the top four, even if any of those teams loses this weekend. I would now, agree. There's uh, there's some cause for concern in the coaching world, and some coaches they don't need to be concerned anymore because their jobs are no longer at the place where they had been employed previously. And then there are some coaches that are, are hopeful and optimistic that maybe they can take that next step up. So some of the big changes in this last week, Matt Rule gets hired by Nebraska. Uh, he was let go by the Carolina Panthers. And you and I have talked about this before, and we're in total agreement that Matt Rule is a college coach. He seems to have a better relationship and a better handle on these aspiring young men who are still moldable and, um, you know, going to Penn state and being around, you know, the, the legendary Joe Paterno and, and doing things, you know, the, the right way there, the hard way there, uh, that blue collar mentality. He did great things at temple went and took a, an incredibly almost impossible situation at Baylor and turned them into a, a winner almost right away. So I think that this is a home run hire for Nebraska, but we'll, we'll get back to that in a minute. Luke Fickle leaves Cincinnati and takes the job at Wisconsin. So those are two Big Ten West hires. Um, Biff Pogey, we already talked about, has been named the new head coach at Charlotte. He was a, an assistant and an analyst with U of M. And uh, a lot of people were giving him credit in the fact that he was kind of helping take the, uh, the controls away from Jim Harbaugh and was kind of his checkpoint operator to say, look, um, you do your thing and I'm going to make sure that, you know, he was almost like the, the get back coach for Harbaugh in the meeting rooms. And, and it yeah. sounds like for Michigan people that that was a great thing. Uh, Kenny Dillingham, the offensive coordinator at Oregon has taken the job at Arizona state. Uh, he grew up and also coached in the state of Arizona. So kind of a homecoming for him. He's 32 years old. I believe that makes him the youngest head coach as of right now in division one. And then Hugh Freeze recently took the job at Auburn, leaving Liberty. And you have to wonder, was this a deal that was in the works when they got absolutely pasted by New Mexico State yeah, in, uh, in Virginia, in, you know, at Liberty's home stadium? One of the worst teams in college football just waylaid them. Yeah, and, and I mean, credit to Jerry Kill. He's got this team showing some signs of life when, you know, there were some who felt, you know, why are they still in the FBS ranks? But, you know, credit to him going on the road and 
not only winning, but winning convincingly over a, a pretty good Liberty team that has had a pretty good season. And you know, to Auburn there, back to the SEC West. Um, other coaching firings that uh, I know is right up your alley. Um, recently, Willie Taggart let go from Florida Atlantic. Um, Marcus Arroyo let go from UNLV. Um, you know, David Shaw resigned at Stanford, but it sounds like it was one of those mutual things. Like he kind of knew that there was going to be a discussion and it was maybe a situation of, um, you know, if you resign, that's going to make you look better. And it sounds like Shaw made that decision before he was approached. We don't know what's going on, but again, possibly saw the writing on the wall there, Wax. So any, uh, any thoughts to the new hires or the, uh, the coaches that were released or maybe other coaches that you fear might be um, soon to be let go uh, as the ax falls? Well, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I was surprised by Luke Fickle. I really thought that he was going to stay at Cincinnati until um, Ohio State came open or if the Brian Kelly experiment didn't work at Notre – or uh, Marcus Freeman experiment didn't work at Notre Dame, that yeah. he was maybe going to go there. So to, go, to return to the Big Ten, I mean, it's a good fit for him. He's certainly familiar with the Midwest from his time at Ohio State and Akron um, and Cincinnati even. So he's definitely a Midwestern guy. Uh, getting to the Big Ten, it's going to be odd seeing him on the opposite sideline all the time. Ohio State played Cincinnati a couple years back and beat him 42 to nothing with him on the sideline. But to have him be a kind of a weekly thing in the Big Ten, it's like, okay, that's cool. That's one of our, one of our guys. So I think that he's got the personality to have Wisconsin sort of the way Brett Bielema did, the physical, the hard-nosed, um, attention to detail. I think that Wisconsin is going to kind of get back to being what Wisconsin used to be. Too many hit and misses with Paul Christ. I actually did think Jim Leonard was going to get the job, and it seemed like they were grooming him. I guess not. Um, the Matt Rule hire I thought was very good. Um, one other one that I thought was a little bit surprising was UNLV let Marcus Arroyo go after a 5-7 and seven season. They actually had some quarterback injuries to um, Daniel Brumfield. And so I think that they weren't healthy all year and they still won five games and they were a lot more competitive with the good teams this year. So I thought he had bought himself another season, but apparently not. So that was kind of one of the group of five things that surprised me. Um, Deion Sanders did confirm that he has been offered the Colorado job. Um, I still think if USF comes calling, that that's more his wheelhouse because it's Florida. It's a fertile recruiting area. They just got new facilities. And I think that he could really um, bring them up big time if he went to USF. Colorado, certainly, I think he would get a recruiting bump in the short term because he's Dion. But I don't know after a while, uh, Boulder is a great city. But I don't know if big-time kids are going to go there, but maybe they will. A lot of big-time kids transferred down to Jackson State to be part of his program. So, so maybe maybe he is bulletproof when it comes to um, kind of going to what seems like a lesser Power 5 job and, and kind of turning them around. But it would be nice to see Colorado relevant again. I thought it was great when they were good in the 90s, and it really wasn't that long ago, what, 2017, 2018, that they were in the Pac-12 championship game. So um, so I actually like Colorado, love their stadium, love the town, and 
I think it would be nice if they weren't the worst power five team in America, but they are. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that if he can, if he takes a job like USF for all the reasons that you mentioned, gain a little bit of momentum, um, start to recruit players. And then with the transfer portal, maybe he, he does well there in two years. Let's say he goes seven and five or eight and four. Then the second year, maybe he's contending for an AAC championship because they're going to be minus UCF, Cincinnati, Houston. So I think that that's a great situation to, to come into if you're Dion. You can stay close to home. Um, you can still, you know, keep a lot of those relationships that you have in the South. Uh, I think it's a little, it's going to be a little bit of a, a culture change to go to Colorado, not just um, program wise, but just that conference. I mean, the Pac 12 was in my conference in the country this year. And I don't know that it's going to change much next year or maybe the year after. So, you know, maybe get your chops in, in, FBS for a couple of years at USF. Maybe you do something similar to like what Scott Frost did at UCF, but hopefully for Dion's sake, he can have more success parlayed into uh, a better job. And maybe, maybe that's something that he's saying to Colorado is look, I appreciate this. You're the, you're the first one to formally offer me a, a, a P5 job. So I'm going to, I'm going to go the G5 route, but in three years, you're going to be the first one I'm going to look at if you're, if you're still wanting me, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to be loyal to you. And, and Dion seems like a loyal guy, you know? So yeah. even if he doesn't take it, he, I really like coach prime and it took me a while to call him that. I thought it was really just a, you know, he was a showman and it was just a, a lot of selfish stuff, but seeing all these things and, and reading these articles, I mean, he truly cares about his players. He cares about his program and he wants to do things the right way. He's not doing it for the money. He's not doing it for the fame. He's doing it to bring fame to um, these student athletes, these these young men who, in many cases, probably need someone like Dion. And and I applaud him. And that's where I I kind of selfishly hope that he goes to a place like USF and and brings that program back up into prominence. And then maybe he can parlay that into something even better. Yep, I would agree. All right, uh, we're going to take a quick break here, but when Wax and I come back, we're going to run down all of the conference championship matchups. So we typically do seven in our pick segment. It's going to be a few more this time, and we're also going to look ahead to the Army-Navy matchup on December 10th, which is Wax and I's favorite game of the, of the year, regardless of records, regardless of what's at stake. We love the academies playing each other for the CIC trophy, especially these two squads in uh, the second weekend in December. You're listening to the CFP Podcast with Wax and Chappie. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the CFP Podcast with your hosts, Chappie and Wax. Remember to follow us on Twitter. I'm at ChappieCFB. He's at CFFMWaxman. And one of the reasons you want to follow us is because of our knowledge of the game when it comes to choosing the games, choosing the winners, and it's that time where we get to the CFP podcast picks. You either win me or win, 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 win. Yeah. Curve everything else. Win, 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 win. So uh, we're not going to give you the rundown of the season totals right now because there's a lot of interesting games in championship weekend, and we're going to get right to that. And we're going to start off with two Friday night games. One of them for the Conference USA title out in 
the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas, where the number 23 UTSA Roadrunners are eight-point home favorites against the North Texas Mean Green. Now, this is a rematch. There are five total rematches in these championship games, and that might come to play with uh, my confidence and maybe even your confidence or lack of confidence in a team winning or not winning that wax. So we'll let you start off here. North Texas or UTSA, who do you like in this one with the Roadrunners favored by eight? Well, I definitely think UTSA is the better team. Um, I'm one of the few. I have Frank Harris in my top 10 for the Heisman. He's just been outstanding this season. Yes, he has. Uh, but North Texas, what um, what Seth Luttrell has done there this year, especially they kind of had a bit of a slow start, and he really got them going. Um, they, they definitely are a pesky team, and they have pulled a couple of upsets late in the year. Um, UTSA's problem is they never put teams away or they get behind and have to have a furious comeback. So I like UTSA, but I think that's too many points. I think, I think UTSA wins probably by four or five and it's a game all the way to the end. So roadrunners win the game, but the mean green cover with the points. Okay. I, I looked at this and, it was a it was a heartbreaking loss for North Texas. UTSA scored with uh, under a minute to go, and it was a beauty of a pass from uh, from Frank Harris to I can't remember the guy who caught it. I want to say it was DJ Clark. It seems like he's the one that um, you know caught everything this year, DeCorian Clark. But um, you know, so UTSA got away with a four point victory, and. North Texas, they score a lot of points. Austin Ani does a good job slinging the rock, but uh, the Mean Green is just two and four on the road. And UTSA is one of the better home teams, at least in the last couple of seasons, under coach Jeff Trailer. They're looking for their second straight Conference USA title, and they'll be moving up to the AAC next year. So I think that they want to put an exclamation point on their brief time in Conference USA. Uh, they've got a lot of weapons on offense, especially in the passing game. So I'm not scared off by the the number of points. I think that this is a game where UTSA probably pulls away in the second half, and we see a 20-point victory for the Roadrunners because of the fact that they just have too many weapons on offense and North Texas having to play catch-up. I, I like the athletes that the Roadrunners have on defense to kind of put the, the clamps down in the second half. So give me the Roadrunners. Meet me. Number 23, minus eight at home. I like them in that spot. All right, let's go out to California for the Pac-12 title game on Friday night. Number 12, Utah against number four, USC. And by the way, the rankings that we're giving are the AP rankings. Um, didn't have a chance to update with the college football rankings, not to mention some of these teams were not in the CFP top 25. But number 12, Utah, number four, USC. I'll start this one off, Wax. Um, it's very difficult to beat a team twice in one season. And USC did not lose the first game to Utah. They got beat by opportunity. So they scored, kicked the extra point. Utah scored and decided to go for two. And that was a roll of the dice by Kyle Whittingham and offensive coordinator um, Andy Ludwig. And it paid off. Cam Rising made the play. And so Utah won by a single point. But again, Caleb Williams was lights out in that game. Five touchdowns, zero interceptions. They did have Troy Dye, who ran for 76 yards in that first contest. They don't really have 
as much of a run attack, although um, Austin Jones has picked up the slack a little bit. He showed some nice things against Notre Dame. I know you like Relique Brown out of the backfield. To me, he's more of a scat back right now. Uh, not as confident in him running between the tackles against that physical Utah defense. But USC laying two and a half. I like them in this spot. I certainly see them winning by three or more. I, I could see the, the Trojans winning by seven, maybe even ten points. Caleb Williams, uh, they're going to focus on stopping him, and that's going to leave it open for a lot of the other weapons and Lincoln Riley's mind. And I think this is going to be a, another classic Lincoln Riley team that looks really good in the regular season. Don't know that I have a lot of faith in them getting past the first round of the CFP playoff, but I think they're going to get there with a victory over the Utes, laying two and a half. So give me the Trojans here. Fight on. Wax, what do you see? Yeah, I tend to agree. Uh, I mean, as much as I, I'll probably be wearing my Utah hat and rooting them on. Um, sure. I do think USC certainly since that game. Um, I mean, you got to remember that was mid-October. USC yeah. really has hit a stride. Even when it looks like they're struggling, once they get it going, boom, they're just scoring points in bunches. Now, if anyone has the grit and determination and coaching chops to slow them down and frustrate them a little bit, it's Kyle Whittingham and Morgan Scally on the defensive side of the ball. That said, I just don't think Utah has the playmakers on offense. Cam Rising has been really, really good. Um, has been a top 10 QBR quarterback most of the year, is a pretty solid running threat. But I just think Caleb Williams looks like that type of it player that not a lot of teams have, but every team wishes it has. It looks like he just relishes the moment. And I think that USC, I'm like you, I think they win by about a touchdown. I do think it's going to be a very entertaining game. I could see you Utah maybe getting a turnover early, maybe even leading at halftime, and then Lincoln Riley making some adjustments, and USC uh, getting a satisfying maybe six, seven-point win at the end. So give me the Trojans laying the small number. Okay, let's go to Saturday now. So um, big calendar of – big list of games that are coming up in both Power 5 and G5 Conference Championship spots. So starting off, at noon, out in Jerry World in Arlington, Texas, where the College Game Day crew will be for the Big 12 title game, number three TCU, number 13 Kansas State, ranked number nine in the CFP rankings. Um, TCU is a two-and-a-half-point favorite, just like USC was in the previous game, Wax. So we'll have you start off here. Um, Horn Frogs, do they finish a regular season undefeated? And I'm going to count the conference title game as part of the regular season because it's not – postseason yet but do you like the frogs here or do you like kansas state to pull the upset in a rematch um as you said it's difficult to beat a team twice um that said tcu like i said Caleb williams has that it look about him tcu just seems like one of these teams of destinies it kind of come out of nowhere um you think okay every week this is the week they go down this is the week they go down and it just never happens and last week it was uncharacteristic. They just hit the throttle from the beginning and just uh, went to work. So usually it's a game last possession and they get some Max Duggan heroics or some uh, Quentin Johnston heroics and win the game. They didn't need heroics this time. They put up 63 points and it was an easy, easy victory. So um, I just think TCU looks like 
the better team. I think that they still, even though they're third in the college football playoff rankings, I still think they feel a little disrespected. And I think that that is going to play well for them. And as much as I love Deuce Vaughn and Malik Knowles and Adrian Martinez and Will Howard, I just think that Kansas State in the end is going to be just a play or two short. So this is, again, another small number. It's two and a half. Um, I actually think TCU wins by three. So I think TCU covers and wins and is undefeated going into the college football playoff. All right. Well, Kansas State, they run the ball well, and they use balance to keep the uh, the opposing teams off the field, which is what they're going to want to do against TCU's offense, led by Max Duggan and all those receivers and uh, Garrett Riley, a, uh, an offensive mastermind in his own right. Uh, but I agree with you. TCU is, is having a magic season. I see this being a close game. They make another one of their trademark comebacks this year. It's near Dallas. This team seems poised and focused to win and go to the CFP. Um, people in that program, people in the administration are still thinking back to 2014 when, you know, it was all, you know, what could have been. And of course they would have loved to have had an expanded playoff at that point, but now they have a shot to, um, to earn it in a four-team playoff, and all they've got to do is win. And like we talked about, even if they don't win, as long as it's close, I think that they're in good shape, but they don't want to backdoor their way in. Um, I'm concerned about some of the injuries in K-State secondary, especially against that TCU passing attack. Uh, Quentin Johnston seems to be much healthier now. Savion Williams, um, you know, they're, they're, they've got tight ends who get into the mix Kendra Miller has rushed for over 100 yards in seemingly every game this year, scoring a touchdown in pretty much every game. So I like TCU in this one, and I think it's going to be close. But like you said, by three points, four points, whatever, I think it's less than a touchdown, but the Horned Frogs stay undefeated and take down the Wildcats here. All right, let's go out to Detroit, which is not something that everybody uh, outside of Michigan says, no. but uh, – We've got the Mac title game, and normally this is a Friday night game. I'm kind of disappointed that it's not. I always enjoy watching this game. Now it's got to compete on Saturday with, uh, you know, the Big 12 title game and the Sun Belt title game. But nonetheless, you've got the Ohio Bobcats, winners of the Mac East, against the Toledo Rockets, winners of the Mac West. And I'm going to get a little personal here, Wax. I can't trust Toledo. Anytime that I've thought that they will do well, they have let me down, except for when they played CMU, my alma mater. They, they won that game. Right. Their defense has shown weaknesses. They've shown vulnerability, especially um, against a struggling offense. I mean, they gave up uh, nearly 50 points to a Bowling Green offense that was sputtering. Last week, they gave up 24 points to a Western Michigan offense, uh, who, by the way, let go of their head coach, Tim Lester. So, I mean, a struggling Western team that, yeah, they did beat my Central Michigan Chippewas. I hate that that's a theme in this episode. Um, but, you know, they went on the road and they couldn't they couldn't just win that finale there. And I don't think it's because they were looking ahead. I just think that this is a team that um, doesn't really have an identity. They won the West, but they're not the best team in the West. Personally, I think Eastern Michigan should be playing in this title game. Ohio is coming in. Their defense has been playing really well, and I know that they lost Curtis Rourke, but their number two quarterback, uh, C.J. Harris, he's a Detroit kid, so he's going to be a little jacked up to play in Ford Field and play in front of a lot of his family and friends. So because of that, 
Ohio. They're getting three points. I think they win this one, maybe even by like 10 points. Um, I've always liked Jason Candle, but I don't have faith in him. And, and frankly, I think he is probably going to need to be on the hot seat because only one Mac title in his time there when he's had the talent and he's had some of the best recruiting classes there to not win it and to not look as um, dominant as they should have looked this year. I'm just, I'm very frustrated by that. So a little bit of a personal pick, but I'm taking the Bobcats here. Oh, you, oh yeah. Plus three here, Wax. Um, I tend to agree. I worry Toledo has been one of the more schizophrenic teams, kind of like you mentioned the week you think they're going to be good. They're not. And then the week that you don't know what they're going to do, they go out and play lights out. But um, CJ Harris had three touchdowns uh, when, when once Curtis Rourke got hurt. And he's actually more like the old style Ohio quarterbacks that, that ran some of the option, the Nathan Rourke and, and some of the guys before him. Um, he probably needs to improve his passing a little bit. But um, Ohio, I mean, they were an afterthought. They started two and three and no one was talking about them. They've won seven in a row. Yeah. And while their offense has put up some points, their defense has allowed uh, 21 or fewer in five of the last seven games. Um, so I really think that they have on the defensive side of the ball, especially they've been turning people over. They've been getting three and outs and they have been able to put together some drives and win games. So for that reason, um, I am with you. I think the Bobcats get it done. And surprisingly enough, never would have said this in October, 10 win team. I know. Yeah. And uh, you know, if Tim Albin doesn't get, coach of the year in the Mac, then there's something wrong with the, anybody who's voting on that because yeah, yeah, even I, if they don't. I questioned the hire last year and, and obviously it was because it was so close to the start of the season right. that you kind of chalk it up to that, but really a year and some change under their belt. And they call less there after that, that third loss and just said, you know what, we're, we're going and, and they've gone and they look like, the best team in the Mac overall right now. Oh, hands down. Yeah. I, I think it's Ohio in their own tier in that conference. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think they're going to get a chance to prove that on Saturday. All right. Going to the Sunbelt championship game, coastal Carolina traveling to Troy, Alabama, where first year head coach, John Sumrall has the Troy Trojans at 10 and two, they dominated the Sunbelt uh, West. And now they get a chance to continue their dominance against Perennial power, Coastal Carolina, who has really throttled the Sun Belt the last couple seasons. Now they're without uh, my guy Grayson McCall. He's he's out. Uh, I, I turned on and watched the first half of that game against James Madison last week, and I was grinning to myself, Wax, because you and others have been bashing on Coastal, saying that they're overrated. They should not be ranked that high, regardless of the fact that they're nine and two. And I kept telling you, and I said, you know, give them time. This is a good team. Well, I was proven wrong because they got shellacked by JMU, which is a pretty good James Madison team, but a Jamie Chadwell Coastal Carolina program that we've seen the last two and a half years should not be beat 47 to seven, whether you're on the road or not. So now they're going to play the Troy Trojans who are playing very good defense um, and their offense is well-balanced and, and I think a tad underrated. Uh, the, you know, Coastal had trouble scoring against JMU, and now they're going against Troy, one of the better defenses, not just in the Sun Belt, but really they're like a top 30 defense in the nation. And 
I think that they're struggling for a little identity. I also question what's been happening behind closed doors with Jamie Chadwell. Is he in talks with some programs? You have to think that he is. Um, and I know that his players, that that's probably weighing on them a little bit. You have to wonder how many of them are considering transfer portal options, maybe uh, trying to jump ahead of this Jamie Chadwell situation, even if he does come back. There's a lot of talent there at Coastal that these P5 programs are going to want to tap into. So because of all that and because of the numbers, Troy is 9-3 and three against the spread this year. They're an eight-point favorite at home. Coastal is just 4-6-1 and one against the number. So all those things factored in. I'm going to break the mold here. I'm going to go away from my tendencies, and I'm going to bet against Coastal here, take Troy, laying the eight points, Wax. Yeah, um, I – this is odd because I have said that I thought that Coastal was kind of getting it done with reputation. Um, I'll be the first to admit, I was shocked by the final score of the game. I mean, that's how JMU was playing early in the year when they were the darlings of the G5 and beating everyone with defense. Then they hit a little bit of a lull and they finally got it back and put up 47 points. Um, obviously, you can tell Coastal is a different team without Grayson McCall. Uh, running the running the ship, but where I look more is even when Coastal had in, in the previous years, Coastal's defense has been good enough that the offense with Grayson and with some of the other guys uh, was putting up points, and they were beating people thirty eight thirty and all that. Well, this year's defense is actually probably one of the worst they've had, and. If defense wins championships, Troy is first in the Sun Belt in fewest uh, 20 plays of 20 yards or more. They've allowed 30. Coastal is 13th. They've allowed almost 70 gains of 20 plus yards. Now, I know Troy doesn't have an explosive offense, but Kamani Vidal is the running back who doesn't get a lot of publicity. He had a bunch of touchdowns last week. He's young, he's hungry, and I think that Troy is going to ground and pound and wear Coastal Carolina's defense down. I'm really torn by this number because I thought it would be about seven or eight. And because Troy isn't explosive, I think it could be a little bit closer than it's possible that it's less than a touchdown. I'm going to take a shot and say it's a 10-point game and that Troy covers just barely. Yeah, and that's my thought too. Like I, I expect it to be real close to this number, but yeah. I, I can see either a push here at eight um, or a 10 point victory uh, with maybe, you know, they're up three. And then in the last four minutes, they, they wear down that coastal defense and they score a touchdown with uh, less than four to go. And then coastal goes three and out a couple of times and, and it seals it for the Trojans. So yeah, uh, we're on the same side there with uh, Troy minus eight. All right. SEC championship where they say it just means more. LSU, um, apparently last week against Texas A&M didn't mean a whole hell of a lot to them because they really got embarrassed. I mean, that was that was not a game that – I mean, I wasn't shocked that they lost. Uh, that's that's a situation to go into Kyle Field. They can get loud. There, there was nobody there the week before against UMass, but can you blame them? Uh, and now they have a, a top-10 team in LSU coming in. It's the final game that Aggie fans get to see this year because they're not going to a bowl. So – they showed up and showed out, so credit to them. So now LSU, ranked number 11 in the AP, facing number one Georgia, who's number one in seemingly every poll. 
the dogs are a 17 point favorite. Um, does LSU have enough fight in them to take on them dogs? Wax, we'll let you start off. Um, I tend to think that with as nasty as George's defense is, and Jaden Daniels has played well above my expectations um, at, at quarterback for LSU. Um, John Emery came back some last week, but I saw that uh, Kayshawn Boutte got hurt. I didn't see if he came back in the game. I know that they've been kind of getting beaten up here down, down the stretch because they don't have a ton of veteran depth. So that worries me. And the fact that, especially on the offensive line, um, Georgia really likes to come after the passer. Um, they don't allow a lot of third down conversions and they, um, they, they defend passes. Well, I mean, with Christopher Smith, Keely Ringo, a lot of the guys they have on the back end, um, Georgia really, you think they're all defense, but they're third in the league in explosive plays. Um, so I, I just think Georgia has too much. And I think LSU maybe will hang around for a quarter and a half. It'll look interesting. People will go, ooh, do the Tigers pull the upset? And then Georgia does some Georgia things, maybe forces a turnover, maybe has a, a special teams play. And I think what will happen is they'll get up by about 20 or 24, and they'll take the starters out. And I think there'll be some danger of LSU maybe getting a backdoor cover. But I think that Georgia might get up by enough that I think that they will end up hanging on and winning by about 18 to 20 and just satisfying the people who put their money on them. Yeah, I agree. I, I think Georgia is probably not liking to hear some of these people say, well, they can afford a loss and they'll still be in. They might even still be a top two team if they, even if they lose this game to LSU because LSU has some good wins on their resume. Uh, Kirby Smart and those Bulldog players they want to go out and prove that there is no doubt that they are not only the number one team, but they are the uh, they are the odds on favorite to win it all. And it shouldn't even be close at this point. Now, I'm not saying that Michigan, TCU, USC don't have a say in the matter. But if you ask Georgia Bulldogs and you ask Georgia Bulldog fans, there should be no doubt. And so I think even if the starters get pulled when Georgia goes up 21, their backups, their third stringers are still five stars and high four stars, um, maybe even walk on. I mean, hell, Lad McConkey's a walk on or he was a two star guy and he is one of the most dynamic receivers. Stetson Bennett is a former walk on. I mean, that story speaks for itself. And that's another point. Stetson Bennett, I think, is going to want to continue to ice his own cake and blow out this LSU team and prove that he is a damn good quarterback on a damn good team and he's going to be um, – pulling out everything he can to win back-to-back -back national championships when most people thought he shouldn't even crack the top five. So I think the dogs win here comfortably. And part of that is because of uh, traumatic experiences with going against the dogs in some of these bigger spreads, thinking that uh, they don't have what it takes to put them away, and they proved me wrong. So I'm going to side with Kirby and the, uh, the Silver Britches here. All right, let's go to the AAC championship, number 22 UCF and number 18 Tulane. The Green Wave hosting this game thanks to some late season um, slip-ups by the, the Knights. I mean, UCF won this original meeting out in New Orleans, but um, they lost to Navy. And so therefore, Tulane, with their only loss coming to UCF in conference, they get the right to host it. 
they are three point favorites wax. So um, this, this two lane team, much like TCU, I think this is their season. Uh, when asked about the rumors of the Georgia tech job and, and a lot of people making it sound like it's all, but his Willie Fritz was adamant about saying, I am Tulane's head coach. I am coaching the Tulane green wave right now. And I am focused and this is my team. And um, you know, I'm their coach and they're my players. They, there's this bond, this cohesion. And I think that this team loves playing for Willie Fritz. So whether he is staying or whether he's on his way out, I think this is a motivated team that wants to uh, get this title because it's something that Tulane hasn't had since 98. And there's been a lot of years of, I don't want to call it futility, but there's been a lot of lower years for the green wave. And this is a chance to take it and seize it and earn it. And I mean, both teams like to run the football, both teams like playing defense, but Tulane 10 and two against the spread this year, one of the best teams against the number. And that shows you that time and time again, people just do not give them the respect and they prove everybody else wrong. So I'm going to ride the wave, full pun intended here. Give me Tulane laying the three points, beating the UCF Knights, who I picked to be my AAC champion this year, but I'm going against it because Tulane just has too much. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Um, I'm telling you, um, Ty J Spears is some kind of player. Michael yes. Pratt is very tough. I mean, I know that he's uh, battled some injuries this season. Um, the only thing I worry about is that um, Willie Fritz is supposed to be um, uh, getting a job somewhere. Um, they claim that they were just trying to work out details. So is there a little bit of distraction? I don't know. Um, but they really, and, and their defense is good. And UCF, I know that they won last week, but what are you doing allowing USF to play you close? You're three, four touchdowns better than them. And they just played around. They looked sloppy. They looked uninterested. Now, maybe with higher stakes, they play a little bit better. But um, John Reese Plumley and Mikey Keene both have had their moments, but neither one has been good enough for an entire game to give me confidence. And the fact this is a field goal game and Tulane has a really good defense um, and some real playmakers on offense, I think Tulane can cover the field goal here, probably wins by about a touchdown. Yep, good pick. We're on the same side. So, Let's go out to the Mountain West Conference title game. So another rematch here, Fresno State traveling to Boise State to play on the blue turf. Now these two, two teams met earlier in the year, and Boise beat them by 20 points. Boise was 8-0 in Mountain West Conference play and one of the hottest teams down the, the, the last two-thirds of the season in college football. Um, they were at a really low point where uh, people thought that they weren't even going to make a bowl when they went on the road and lost on a Friday night to UTEP. But then they rattled off eight consecutive victories and looking really good. But then you've also got Fresno State, who's also laying claim to one of the hottest teams to close the season. They've won seven straight. And once Jake Hayner got healthy and once they had other guys on offense kind of come back from some slight injury, they, they played really well. Now, um, aside from the Mountain West Conference opponents, these two teams had a non-conference opponent that in common, and that was Oregon State. Fresno State almost beat them. In fact, I think it was just a, a one or two point game, whereas Boise State got beat by 17 points against Oregon State. Um, so I'm going to go 
with the underdog here. Boise State's laying three and a half, but I like Fresno State here mainly because Jeff Tedford is, uh, you know, he has a, a deeper track record with success. He's been in this situation before. He's coached in these championship games. Andy Avalos has really turned around his fortunes. There were some people questioning whether he was fit for the job. Uh, he won the Mountain West Mountain Division, and now he has a chance to win his first Mountain West Conference title. But I think Jeff Tedford and all those weapons on offense for Fresno State, and it's not just Jake Hayner, but you look at those receivers, Jalen Cropper, um, uh, Nico Remigio, who is one of the most fun and entertaining players to watch with the ball in his hands, Jordan Mims at running back, um, Kelly at wide receiver. And then on defense, David Perales is a sack machine and a lot of speed, a lot of flying to the football. So going out there to the mountains of Boise, I don't think is going to phase the Bulldogs. And so I like Fresno in this spot. Give me the Bulldogs getting the three and a half and beating that spread. Um, I'm going to go counter. I think that um, this is certainly a meeting of the, the two best teams in the league. I don't think there's any debating about that. And I do like uh, how Fresno has looked getting Jake Hayner back and the offense looks like it's humming again. Um, so kudos to Fresno State. But I'm really impressed with how well Boise State's defense has been playing. And Taylor Green has actually scored a rushing touchdown in four of the last five games Early on when Hank Bachmeyer went down and then went into the portal, um, he looked a little bit like, okay, I'm, I'm a new guy, and what do I make of this? He has really settled into his role. I think the uh, guys on offense believe in him, and I think that he's been able to make some plays, not only with his legs, but with his arms. He's become better as a passer, and I think that Boise is a team that can get after you and – Fresno can allow, on, on occasion, their defense gets a little bit leaky and they can allow some big plays. So I think with a small number, um, and I think playing on the blue turf, I think that Boise is going to get this done and win by about a touchdown. So I am going to take the Broncos, who uh, were left for dead at the end of September, to hoist the Mountain West Conference trophy and cover the spread against the Fresno State Bulldogs. Okay, interesting. I, I like a little contention there, Wax. We, we can't be on the same side for everything. That's just boring. Um, I think we're going to be on the same side for this next one, though. You've got Purdue at 8-4, and four, um, playing in their home state in Indianapolis, uh, quote-unquote hosting the number two-ranked Michigan Wolverines. Michigan a 16.5-point favorite, coming off an impressive 22-point um, pseudo-blowout against Ohio State. If you ask Michigan fans, it was a blowout. If you ask Ohio State, it was a pull-away uh, affair. But nonetheless, the Wolverines looking pretty good. Purdue kind of, um, I don't want to say they backdoored their way into the Big Ten title game, but they certainly had to have some things go their way because uh, that West was wild and wacky. So what do you like in this one, Wax? Or should I say, um, will Michigan cover the 16.5-point spread, and do they cover it comfortably? Yeah, I, I don't think there's going to be any post-rival uh, hangover on this one. Um Purdue just isn't very explosive. I mean, Aiden O'Connell and Charlie Jones have been a great pitch and catch battery, but if they're not firing, then Purdue really doesn't have much um, on offense. And I don't think Purdue's defense is going to be able to stand up to uh, Michigan's uh, offense. So 16 and a half sounds like a lot, but given what we saw from Donovan Edwards last week, the running threat that J.J. McCarthy posed, 
and the fact that Cornelius Johnson was uh, able to get open so easily. Um, I think Michigan can, can make this one a pretty comfortable win. I'm saying maybe 21, 24 point win for the Wolverines. I agree. If they could blow out last year's Iowa team, I don't think they'll have any trouble with this Purdue team. Now, um, Purdue, uh, for in my opinion, the only offensive threat they've got is tight end Payne Durham. So if Michigan can bracket him, cover him down, um, Aiden O'Connell suffered a, a family tragedy last week. I, I read reports, and I, I don't know if this is confirmed, so um, you know I don't want to be quoted on it, but um, I, I thought I read that his, his brother passed away. I don't know what the situation was, but nonetheless – um, he suffered an emotional setback during that uh, Oaken Bucket game. And so um, he, he might be playing inspired if that's in, in true what happened. Um, but you also have to wonder uh, what other threats does Purdue have defensively? Uh, I don't know that they are going to be able to stop Michigan's physicality. Um, I don't think they're going to be able to stop the passing game. Michigan is playing like a true championship team, a team that um, I think is etching their way into that national title game after this one and after the semifinal game. So Michigan comfortably, I agree with you, 24 point win, maybe even more than that. So easily covering the 16 and a half that they're laying. All right. AAC, or ACC championship in Charlotte, North Carolina, the North Carolina Tar Heels ranked number 24 coming off two consecutive losses um, to playing the number 10 Clemson Tigers who are also coming off a rivalry loss. So very odd that you have two teams playing in a conference title game that are both coming off a loss the previous week. Who do you like here between the Tigers who are laying eight points to the Tar Heels against uh, North Carolina, who is getting the eight wax? Um, I think Clemson's going to win the game. They're the better team. Their defense is still very good. And North Carolina looks like they've run out of gas. That said, I don't think Clemson has enough offense to pull away from anybody. And North Carolina has some dynamic players on offense. So I think Clemson wins a close game, but North Carolina gets the cover uh, getting eight. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's close. I, I, I think Clemson wins, but I think North Carolina beats the spread uh, mainly because their offense is better overall than South Carolina's offense, which made easy work of that Clemson defense whenever South or whenever Clemson scored, South Carolina was right back there with it. And two subpar performances from Drake May. I think he and Josh Downs are going to be fired up and, and they're going to light up the scoreboard. But I think Dabo's experience in this game is going to be the difference. And Mac just doesn't seem like he's got that, that edge to win it yet. That said, it wouldn't surprise me to see the Tar Heels pull off the upset and, and be crowned ACC champions. But I'm going to go with uh, them to beat the spread for sure plus eight in that one. And then finally, one of our favorite matchups, Wax, Army versus Navy on December 10th. Right now, it's Navy getting seven points against Army. The over-under is set at 35 and a half. I'm going to start and say take the under. Since 2005, I think the stat is, the under has hit in service academy games between all three academies. The under has hit 42, nine, and one. So those statistics tell me to hammer the under, and I will continue to do that until this total gets to about 30 points. Um, <laughs> overall, though, Navy, I think, can beat that seven-point spread. This is usually a close game. Um, you know, speculation as to maybe Jeff Munkin takes a job, maybe at a place like Stanford where he could feasibly bring in the option and, and be competitive at a place like Stanford that's very difficult to get, um, you know, longevity there. 
And, you know, both teams have, have shown some good things this year. I think Navy's shown a little bit more. So I'm going to take Navy to uh, beat the seven-point spread, maybe even win outright. In fact, I'm going to call for a Navy victory because um, I kind of have a, a, a affinity for the midshipmen. So who do you like here, Wax? Army-Navy, Army minus seven, 35 and a half total. I think that Navy has certainly, uh, I don't want to say righted the ship because they're not a great team, but they got a lot more competitive in the second half of the year, pulled off an an upset or two. And I really love their uh, John Marshall on defense who does a little bit of everything. I mean, he deflects passes. He goes after the passer. He can make tackles in open space from the striker position. Um, He's kind of the counterpart to Army's Andre Carter, so I would tend to agree with you that the under, you're probably looking at like a 17-14 game, maybe even 14-10. Maybe if we're lucky, we'll get a little bit of snow to keep the offense uh, to a minimum. Um, if I'm needing to pick a side, um, I-, I think that is too many points. I think Army's going to find a way to win the game, but that's far too many points. I think you're looking at like a two, three-point game, a really gripping, tight game down to the wire, but take it at the very end. And again, that's next Saturday, December 10th. We would be really remiss if we don't wish uh, good luck to our buddy Sully, uh, who had his second child uh, just today. And that's why he wasn't on the picks with us, but he is again here with us in spirit. And now he's got a full brood and congrats to Sully. Yes, congrats. Uh, Being a father is one of the best things that can happen to anybody. And we know that Sully... Um, is one for one so far. So that second addition to the Sullivan family, God bless her and God bless uh, Mr. Sullivan and Mrs. Sullivan. Uh, Very happy for you, buddy. So, uh, and happy to be doing this with you, Wax. This has been the CFP podcast. We've enjoyed bringing you college football all year long, both in season and out. Again, follow us on Twitter. Check out all of our college football resources at cfpcollegefootball.com, where you'll get great knowledge of college football from the experts. So reach out and hit us up with any and all takes. We like the banter because we love the sport. Thanks for joining us in our passion. And all we ask is you keep listening, spread the love, and help us continue to rise above. For Wax and Sully and family, I'm Chappie. Be the good and do the right. Enjoy championship weekend, everybody. 